0: There. There's a road uh, near our house, and it's a really busy road. And what happens is three lanes get reduced down to two. And so, you know, when I get onto that road, I I do the right thing, I, I get into the middle lane, like most people, but there's always this one person who can't wait, who flies down the outside and then tries to squeeze in just before the roundabout. And immediately, Uh, I start talking to the other drivers in the car. Uh, I know they can't hear me, but I'm saying, don't let him in. And uh, we've done the right thing. Teach him a lesson. Got to keep him out. And I rejoice every single time another car gets past and they don't get in. But after a while, it starts getting close to when it's my turn. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I start feeling a little bit torn. There's this part of me that's telling me, No, no, no. It's the right Christian thing to do, to let them in. And I'm pretty dirty about it, and it feels like such a burden. Well, the thing is, I know that's not just me. Jonah 4 uh, is where God tells us that all of us are guilty of resisting God's mercy. Of resisting God's mercy. In fact, because what happens is when, when mystery is a mercy to us, We'd rather change God than let His mercy change us. And that's what we're seeing today. That's the the big idea. Now, Jonah, the, the book of Jonah, we've actually been looking at the mystery of God's mercy. And we've seen it on every page, in every verse. From Jonah running away from God and God in His mercy, bringing him back in a very unusual way. But then God's relentless mercy... To Nineveh, it's been wonderful to see it. And so then, at the end of chapter three, when Jonah's preached the message and Nineveh's responded, we read verse ten: When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. As so we come to chapter four, and we we expect to see Jonah rejoicing, maybe doing a bit of a dance. Uh, He might be heading straight back to Israel to tell them, you won't believe the news, Nineveh's turned to God. Or maybe going down into the city and telling people about this God uh, who has been merciful to them. Well, that's not exactly what we see. Instead, we see Jonah resisting God's mercy in chapter 4. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack that for us with three points. Firstly, we're going to see How we try to change God. Then what it means to resist being changed by God. And finally, how we are challenged by God himself. Well, Jonah wants to change God. Now, this is not because he doesn't know God or he's from another religion. No, Jonah's an Israelite. He knows the God of the Bible. In fact, he's God's chosen prophet. But what we see is that there's a heart problem, a very deep heart problem. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Let's be really clear about this verse. When it says, very wrong, uh, that word wrong is actually the word for evil. Jonah is saying, God's mercy is evil. And we see that Jonah Jonah seems more angry that Nineveh was saved than God was with their, their sin. This is meant to shock us and it's meant to be unsettling because we actually know as we've worked through Jonah that Jonah is a mirror to our soul. Verse 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall or postpone by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Things are pretty twisted when God's graciousness and mercy are are sort of like this bad thing. There's a real heart problem here. But Jonah's actually quoting from Exodus chapter 34. And this is right after Israel has been rescued by God out of Egypt. God has claimed them as his and he's given them the Ten Commandments so they know how to worship him and love him and love each other. And the first two commandments are all about don't worship other gods and don't have idols. So what do they do? They have an idol. But we see God's incredible, relentless mercy even then. He doesn't punish them as they deserve. He he relents from sending calamity. And what Jonah is saying here is, not that God shouldn't be merciful to anyone, but that he should only be merciful to Israel. His people. He is crushed by what God has done for Nineveh. And so in verse three, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, this feels very days of our lives drama, but it's actually a lot more sinister than that. Jonah has been actually willing to sacrifice a whole city that we come to learn has over 120,000 people in it in order to protect what he loved and he valued. And now that's not happening. He's saying, my life is not worth living without my first love, without the thing that gave me joy, without my reason for living. And it's clearly not God. See, Jonah's first love is his people, the Israelites and his identity with them. God's mercy to Nineveh, he feels threatens that, that God will actually not only maybe not have enough, but hang on, they're not so special if other people are going to get his mercy. He wants to change God. And the thing about this is it's not just something for for people like Jonah way back then. It's for God's people today, for Christians. Tim Keller in his book, he's an American pastor, on Jonah, he actually says, yeah, Christians, we can do this. When we say, I won't serve you, God, until you give me X, um, whatever that, that is, then what it shows is that X is your true bottom line, your real love of your life and your real God. That's quite chilling. I've known Christians who who have left churches because they didn't get their way and really they want to change God. Or Christians in churches who will hold up ministry and, and limit the gospel to get their way. Well, then we see Jonah resisting being changed by God. Throughout the book and even here we continue to see God in mercy working on Jonah. So Jonah heads out of the city, kind of climbs the hill, makes up this little shelter for him to sit in. You see, he's going to hang around. Why? Because Jonah is actually hoping, expecting that Nineveh will change back. And they will then get judged by God. And there's a part of him that wants to be able to say to God, see, I told you, I was right. And how does God respond? Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up and over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. And why wouldn't you be? Uh, That sounds pretty great. But there's two words in this verse that we need to really Pay attention to. first one is provided. The Lord God, the God of Israel. But the God who, as soon as we see the Lord, is meant to remind us that, yeah, God gave promises to Israel and it was for the whole world. But this God has provided. Now we know through the book of Jonah that God has provided a storm to turn Jonah back. That God has provided a whale to rescue him from drowning. Now God has provided a vine. The second word is the word very. You see it there in 6? He is very happy about the plant. Mm-hmm. We've already heard this word very in verse 1, when he was very displeased with God. You See, it's all about Jonah's comfort. So verse 7, At dawn the next day God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. God works in many different ways. And here he's provided a worm. He goes on to provide a scorching wind and obviously the blazing sun. And so in verse 8, Jonah says, I want to die. It would be better for me to die than to live. That's pretty serious grief over the loss of a plant. God has got Jonah right where he needs to be. And so in verse 9, God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Isn't it wonderful to see how God gently is wanting to work with Jonah and help him in mercy to to see how he needs to be changed by God's mercy? Well, how does Jonah respond? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead He's not changed by mercy, no matter how much he's received it. Whether that be the whale, or or being vomited and brought back to life. Or even now, with this shade. There was a man who got paid $1.3 million into his bank account from his uh, employer. That was a bit of a surprise, because normally he'd only get $1,300, right? So what does he do with it? Well... He goes on holidays, uh, he buys new houses, he buys lots of toys for little ones as well as adult people as well, and then there's parties, and this goes on for a couple of months, this massive spending spree. But then the owner of the business, who was quite a rich and powerful man, he found out, and he calls him into his office, and straight off the bat, he says, you're fired, and I'm going to have you arrested, and I'm going to get back every single dollar that you stole from me. Well, the man starts begging for his family. You know, i will need a home and, and please give us more time. Give, just give us the time and I'll pay you back. Unexpectedly, the owner says, Look, you know what? I'm going to cancel the debt. You don't have to pay me back a single cent. It's done. And you can keep your job. Well, the man walks out of the office on his way back to his workplace. He's got this massive smile on his face. And then as he walks past, he sees a man who owes him $1,000. And so he walks right over to him and yells at him, Give me my $1,000 right now. And the man, he's saying, I don't have it. In fact, I can't pay you back. I'm really sorry. Please give me more time. But he grabbed him by the collar and he shakes him and he says, I'm going to have you thrown in prison. Well, look, it's actually a story that Jesus told. I just kind of made it a bit more modern. Jesus was teaching the crowd that day and us. He's teaching us that God's mercy, His mercy to us should change us radically and lead us to show that mercy to others. And that's the challenge from God for each of us today. Now, there's a real contrast in this, the book and certainly this chapter, but even in these last two verses, verses 10 and 11, a contrast between Jonah and God. And it really, it, the pointy end of it is the question. The question that God asks and is deliberately unanswered in the book. Because we're meant to answer that question. Verse 10. The Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant. The word there is actually compassion. You've had compassion on the plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. God's saying, Joni, you're so concerned about this plant. that You've got compassion. God knows he doesn't actually care about the vine at all. He only cares about his comfort. And he says, you didn't do anything. It just happened. And you just benefited from it. It didn't cost you a single thing And in the end, it was so temporary. Even your discomfort is going to be temporary. So then God asks the question, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left and also many animals? God's saying, this is not about you, Jonah. This is about me, shouldn't I? The one who sees everything. And I've seen Nineveh. I I saw their evil and their violence, which is why I sent you. But I love them. And they don't know their right from their left hand. I didn't get any benefit from them. Should I not have... Compassion on them. And shouldn't you join me? That's God's question. It reminds me of Jesus. Hanging on the cross. As he looks down, there's the crowd below him. Who have mocked him, spat on him. The soldiers are there, they've beaten him. They've stripped him. And then they've crucified him. And as he hangs there, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They don't know their right from their left. This ultimate act of mercy as Jesus dies the death that we deserve. So instead of giving us what we deserve, God can then offer us eternal life with Him, perfect love, perfect life for eternity with Him. But you see, it's not just about then and and then in eternity. Every day, our lives are by mercy. This is what we need to understand that Jonah didn't. Every breath, every day, every step is by the very mercy of God. Now and into eternity... So Jesus asks us, shouldn't I have compassion on this whole world? And shouldn't you join me? God's love and mercy has been poured out on me and on you. So unlimited. And then he wants to pour it out on others through us. But sometimes we struggle, don't we? Just like Jonah. Particularly on people who are different to us. Maybe they're Muslims. Maybe it's a same-sex couple or or those who identify as non-gender. Or maybe it's just someone with a different coloured skin. Or the poor or the sick or the elderly or those who hoard toilet paper. Whatever it is, we may not agree with them. But we need to share God's mercy with them. If not, we're just like Jonah, wanting to change God. And it just shows that he is not our first love. It's very confronting. And if you think that this passage is for someone else because you know the truth about God better than Jonah, or you know the gospel better, or you think, man, there's no way I could be that selfish... Well, then that kind of proves it. Because even there it shows, actually, it's not about what we know. And yes, we can do such things. It's only by God's mercy that we can do anything. What we need to do is like Charles Spurgeon, a great Christian, who prayed this, God, save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. May that be our prayer. So that instead of seeking our comfort, we share God's compassion and mercy with everyone that he brings into our life. That instead of trying to change God, we allow his mercy to change us every day. Because when God's mercy is a mystery to us, we'd rather change God than let it change us. God's word to each of us today is to stop resisting God's mercy. But instead, instead to share it with others. And as we're in the midst of this pandemic, this is the perfect time to share that mercy to those who are isolated. To those who are struggling at this point in time, especially with either addictions or or mental health. To offer mercy to those in positions of authority, like the government and others, as they wrestle with this. To those who are going to face financial hardship, and, and on and on. There are so many people who God is going to give us the opportunity to pour out His mercy through us. Well, we have the opportunity now to confess our sins to God uh, with this particularly in mind when we haven't offered that mercy. And as a church, we often will say a confession out loud together as a recognition that, yes, we all sin. And it's all of us coming before God, asking for his mercy and claiming it through Christ. There's a wonderful passage that encourages us to do this.